What is up, everybody? This is Jeff Morton with another CSG podcast. Before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about a sponsor of the Solo CSG podcast. Uh, it is King Law Firm. Um, if you find yourself in the unfortunate uh, situation of being having to, well, or being disabled, and you're having to uh, to rely on what you've paid into your whole life, which is disability, Social Security, your Social Security there is there to take care of you. And you have to fight for it. You need an advocate. Uh, I can tell you as someone who has uh, familial experience with this, that uh, it is a slog. It is a long, painful process, and you really do need someone in your corner. There is no one better in Denver at fighting for you for Social Security Disability than King Law Firm. Uh, Please reach out to them or uh, basically uh, go to their website. Uh, It is kinglawfirmco.com. That is kinglawfirmco.com. They also do personal injury and a multitude of other uh, other ways that you, they can help you, the average person. So go to kinglawfirmco.com. Ask for Kylan King and tell them Jeff Morton sent you. What is up, everybody? This has been a uh, uh, an interesting week of non-Nuggets news after, you know, the Isaiah Thomas stuff. We are really getting into the the doldrums of the off season, and uh, summer league is over. Most of the free agent signings have been done. Um, LeBron is in L.A. I mean, basically, we have we've set the course for what the NBA is going to be doing uh, in the next year. Uh, uh, it was recently made official that there will be a preseason game in Seattle at Key Arena. Uh, which is something I will be talking about. I'll have a guest uh, from uh, Seattle on the show. Uh, we'll be talking about Seattle, uh, the Seattle Sonics, all that stuff. Uh, it'll be a great conversation, a good friend of mine, uh, and it'll be something that you'll really want to hear. Um, outside of that, uh, we're like I said, we're really in the doldrums. The only person, that, the only real thing that needs to be kind of worked out is the situation with Carmelo Anthony. Mello is, uh, was, there's, it, it, it hasn't been made official yet, but the machinations of this trade have been, Mello was sent to Atlanta for, uh, basically as a salary dump. Um, uh, I forget who, uh, the Thunder got in return, but the, let's face it, the crux of this trade was to get off of Carmelo Anthony's salary which was $27.9 million. What's going to happen, the Hawks are going to cut him. He's still going to get his $27.9 million, and he'll say he intends, as according to everyone, uh, Mark Stein was the latest to tweet this this morning, but it's all, everyone expects Mello to go to Houston. Um, with all that being said, there has been this... Uh, I don't know, a great analysis of what exactly Mello's place in history is. And, excuse me, and that is something hard to define in a vacuum. Mello um, bridged eras. Um, His skill set was I wouldn't say perfect, but it was 
more desired when he came into the league than in his 15th year. Um, there are there are things that Melo has been known for, uh, uh, holding the ball, isolation, uh, ball stopping, basically, um, and scoring. Uh, there's a lot of negatives associated with that. Let's go back to Melo's time in Denver. I mean, he left Denver in 2011. But where we are, where we are with Melo is in a weird place where the game of basketball changing has made Melo's career look far worse than his obvious flaws are. Um, his his place in NBA history is going to be hard to define for people who never got to watch his best years in Denver. Now, this is where kind of I'm going to center this conversation because it's hard to go into Melo's entire career. Um I can speak from experience by watching Mello since 2003, um, knowing that he had a certain, as, as it says the movie Taken would say, you know, it's a, it's a particular set of skills. Uh, he had a very, very obvious set of skills, which really did help the Syracuse basketball team in 2003 win the title. Um, Mello was very much a key component of that. He was never the leader of the, uh, that team. I think that was when title went to Jerry McNamara, but Carmelo Anthony was in a situation where he was allowed to be the best player and Jerry McNamara was allowed to be the leader, which was always the best situation for Carmelo. Always the best situation. When he got to Denver, uh, the Nuggets trying to, the Nuggets had been, and, and for some context here, from about 1995-96 to 2002-2003, the Nuggets were just a dreadful organization. Um, a lot of ownership issues caused a lot of turmoil. Um, Bernie Bickerstaff uh, basically deciding to do a giant screw job on the Nuggets in 1995-96. and 96 kind of uh, set the team down a horrible path. They went through several GMs. And by 2002, uh, Kiki Vandeweghe had fully taken over as general manager. Uh, Kiki uh, was the titular general manager in 2001, or excuse me, 2000. Um, but Dan Issel was still team president. So everything went through Dan. And Dan was team president and coach. And that's a, that is a hard dynamic where you have a general manager and a guy who serves with two roles, the team president and coach. By the time Dan Issel's famous uh, flaming out in early 2001, uh, things were heading towards a place where Kiki had been consolidating power. Uh, fast forward to 2002, the Nuggets that year, I believe, had the fifth pick. And uh, Kiki Vandeweghe picks Nicholas Skidishvili. We all know about the disastrous career, very brief career, of Nicholas Skidishvili. Um, that flamed out extremely quickly. Uh, there was no promise there. He was, he was and never was. 
Um, so in the next year, within the context of all this, it was the height of the European uh, craze after Dirk Nowitzki started really dominating the league in the early 2000s with Dallas and Steve Nash and Jerry Stackhouse. So that that team influenced the thinking of a lot of general managers, most notably Kiki Vandewey. Kiki had his sights set on Darko Milicic, and as we all know, uh, Joe Dumars decided to roll the dice because he was fooled himself. There's a great oral history about the 2003 draft, a great one that ESPN did about uh, well, 2013. And if you haven't checked it out, you sh- you just look up, uh, just type in oral history, uh, 2003 draft ESPN, and it'll come up for you. Spectacular article that really shows what the thinking was behind all the, what that was going on with the, the uh, that draft. Joe Dumars takes Darko Milicic, surprising everyone, including Kiki Vandeweghe. Kiki went ahead and took the best player available, which was the obvious choice at the time, because most people thought Melo would go two. Carmelo Anthony went third to the Nuggets, and the Nuggets' fortunes dramatically changed. Um, the Kiki signed Andre Miller, and uh, it was a team, if you remember that 2003-2004 team, John Barry was on that team um, before he got all bitter about the city of Denver and decided to spew uh, uh, passive-aggressive dislike towards them for the rest of his broadcasting career. Um, This was John Barry, who was still a viable player before he went to the Houston Rockets. And uh, Andre Miller, Marcus Camby, uh, Nene was still there, but I, I don't know if he was there for the whole year. He, uh, the Nuggets got Min Nene in 2002 in that D'Antonio McDice trade. So it was, a, it was a solid team anyway. But you have to realize the Nuggets that year, before the year before, won 17 games. And you were dealing with a coach who was fundamentally a defensive coach in Jeff Bazdelic. Um He hated the fact that uh, Kiki really wanted him to push the pace. Uh, Bazdelic was never comfortable with that. And uh, it's good for Jeff Bazdelic. You know, he, he bounced around. He went to Air Force. He went to CU. You know, he went to Wake Forest. And then he came back to the NBA. He's now an assistant coach under Mike D'Antoni and really kind of in Houston and really kind of directing their defense. The ironic that makes Mello going to Houston ironic because he and Jeff Bazdelic never got along. Um, and that is something that I, I that people have gone has gone unsaid in this whole rigmarole. Um, but I digress. So Bazdelic had him and really, if you look at that season with an objective eye, you see that yes, they they brought on Andre Miller, Marcus Camby had a good year, but it really was Melo's team from the get-go. And he came in and put his stamp, unlike any rookie that year, by the way, in that, on that team. There is no doubt Carmelo Anthony was the rookie of the year in 2003-2004. Zero doubt. The fact that it went to LeBron James was completely out of reputation. And LeBron James did not have a good year. 
he did not have a good rookie season. Carmelo Anthony by far had the best rookie season and was never given credit for it. Melo put that to that, that first year, that first team he was on, that Nuggets team, that ended up going to the playoffs and playing the Minnesota Timberwolves as an eight seed. They somehow they, they, they somehow got into the playoffs. It was one of those where they had to fight till the end, but they got in and they managed to steal a game from Minnesota and really point to the future. But that really, that moment, that was Melo's, probably his time as the get on my back, we will make something happen. Uh, he really, really was. He wasn't the leader, but he was established himself so far as the best player that it buoyed the franchise. Uh, the next year, they struggle out of the gate. Um, Kiki Vandaway and Bazdelic were fighting over philosophy, and Kiki made the decision to fire Bazdelic shortly into the season. And after a brief stint as with Michael Cooper as the uh, interim head coach, which was a disaster, uh, they bring on George Carl, and they proceed to win. I believe th- they go thirty-six and th- thirty-five or thirty-six and nine down the stretch, and win forty-nine games after winning 43 the previous year. Uh, it was an amazing, one of the best stretches of basketball I've ever seen. Before that year came, uh, actually, um, the Nuggets, Kiki Vandaway did a sign-and-trade and a max contract for Kenyon Martin. So these Nuggets teams are coalescing in a way with veterans around a a. a Still young player. Remember, Carmelo Anthony only played one year at Syracuse, and he was still 19 years old uh, when he first came in the league. Um, and it was a, it was one of those. You are given the keys to the kingdom, and if I'm ever going to blame the Nuggets for something, it was, I think they went to the veteran team too quickly around Melo. And I think that may have done a disservice to him. However, his scoring average increased, increased, increased every year. And Melo was by far the best player. And there, there was a way you could look at him and say, Carmelo Anthony was the most unstoppable scorer in basketball from about 2005 to yeah, basically uh, his last year in Denver, which was 2011. He was a guy who could score from basically all angles, even though he didn't shoot a ton of threes. He could do it. Uh, He didn't get to shooting threes until he got to uh, New York, about the 2012-13 season. But during that time, Melo could score anywhere on the court and could put up 25 points in a game basically without even without you really thinking that he's doing it along with the best scores in the game in NBA history, it seems like they could sleepwalk into 25. That was Carmelo Anthony and Carmelo Anthony put his footprint on the Denver Nuggets there. There is no doubt. There is no doubt in my mind that Mello got or Denver got the best of what Mello had to offer the best version of Mello. Once Chauncey Billups came in after they traded Allen Iverson and the, the ill-fated uh, 
high volume scoring duo of uh, Allen Iverson and uh, Carmelo Anthony was swept by the Lakers in 2008. Uh, once that experiment ended and the Nuggets ended up trading uh, Iver- Iverson to Detroit for Chauncey, Melo uh, finally got the guy who was able, he was able to, res- he respected and was able to follow. The 2008-2009 season, in my mind, is Carmelo Anthony's best ever team playing year. Uh, he'd subverted his high-volume scoring uh, just enough, and they slowed the pace just enough to make it so where Melo could actually play a little bit of defense. You know, he's never been an accomplished defender, but he's, he's, a, he's a competent defender. They slowed the pace just enough, and they established themselves just enough with the additions of uh, uh, Birdman and uh, a few others. Lennis Claza had been on the team for a while. The Nuggets really had a nice roster full of, full of players like J.R. Smith, who could score. Uh, he came on in 2006. The, the, the Nuggets were just kind of piling up some players. They get into the playoffs that year, and I think this is a big, due to the way Melo left, people have forgotten this. Carmelo Anthony played the best basketball of his career the 2009 playoffs. Never surpassed it. Uh, he played great in the 2010 Utah series. He was the only Nugget who played great in the 2010 Nugget series. But the actual playoffs against New Orleans... Dallas and the Lakers uh, that year, Carmelo Anthony played out of his mind. The first three games, mm, let's just say all five games against uh, Dallas, he was great. The last two games against New Orleans, he was superior. The, excuse me, the last three games against New Orleans. And the first three against the Lakers may be, in my mind, his pinnacle as a basketball player. He took the challenge of guarding uh, Kobe Bryant through much of the games. It was they they were both scoring forty points. It was it was the best I have seen Carmelo Anthony, and it really showed a lot of promise for the next year. And up till up till about. Uh, Basically, the All-Star break of 2009-2010, the Nuggets were a better team, and Carmelo Anthony was on, was on playing at an MVP play, pace. You know, his scoring average was up, but he was still doing other things. George Carl gets cancer, and everything goes to shit, um, team-wise. He and George had been battling for ages, um, but it really came to a head once George got cancer. Uh, he comes back the next year, and it you know that's during the height of Mello wanting out. Mello makes the decision to force a trade to New York rather than waiting till the next year. Now his primary primary motive for waiting till the next year was the, the fact that in the offseason a lockout was coming. And Mello wanted the guarantee of the extension that the Nuggets offered him. This is where you can see finally 
Mello didn't necessarily care about basketball. Mello looked as if he really, at this point, all he cares about is getting to the market, getting back to the East Coast. And he forces his way to New York and, and all the while gutting the team. And the players that could have helped Carmelo were sent to Denver, and the rest of that part is history. But, the, but Mello doing what he did, and I don't even know if he consciously realized this is what he was doing, but it set forth his, it kind of put into concrete his reputation as a guy who cares mostly just about getting his and it kind of set that emotion. And then he had the ridiculousness of Linsanity and Mello's Mello's behavior with that, his relationship with coach Mike D'Antoni, which is another irony of him going to, um, going to Houston is so, so full of irony here. Oh, everything's so full of irony, but there is, there is a lot of just, you look at that moment in February of 2011, as great a job as Masai Ujiri and Josh Kroenke did in making that deal, it would not have happened if Mello had not insisted on being traded to a certain area. It was done that way, and the Nuggets did their best extracting what they could extract from the New York Knicks with the help of James Dolan. That basically sealed Carmelo's reputation, even though he played well, basically up until 2014. Uh, Melo, his reputation was over, and his the fact that he could hide his flaws in a market like Denver, um, he goes to New York and he can, couldn't hide them anymore. What Melo was able to do and what Melo's obvious traits were were not able to be obscured because no one was paying attention like Denver. I'm sorry to say that Nuggets fans is true. And you look at Melo's career and you notice the perception downturn as far as what his obvious flaws are took a turn. You know, no longer did you have people like Chris Broussard coming on with Scott Hastings and saying that Melo's not a ball stopper. You know, that's kind of no, new where you were, you basically it was confirmed that no one was paying attention, really. They were only seeing Denver in the playoffs. So now the, the flaws, all that stuff came to the floor, even though Melo was playing basically like Melo. And in 2013, he starts shooting more threes. Yeah, he's still Melo. And it really, really was set in stone after that trade in 2011 what Mello was, was and what he was going to be. But there was a time, particularly in the late aughts, from about 2008 to 2010, Mello was playing the best team basketball of his career and was choosing to do so. And then it all changed. That's why I feel... Mello deserves to be in, in the Hall of Fame, mostly because of his Olympic and uh, college career. But his time in Denver was, he deserves credit 
for lifting a Nuggets franchise that was awful in the late 90s and turning it into something that was a lot more respectable. And I think if he gets into the Hall of Fame, that is why he deserves to be in there. Not necessarily because he put up stats in New York. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining me for this uh, nostalgic CSG podcast. Uh, I'll be back soon, and I'll be talking to you later. Goodbye.